All right, if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. This is our third Sunday in the letter to the church at Galatia. And we're going to start reading in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and return, excuse me, remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person of the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we consider your word through the Apostle Paul, by the superintendence of your spirit, to the church at Galatia, and then to your church and all, all of history. Father, we pray that your spirit would give us ears to hear your word, eyes to see the truth about your son and the gospel of grace and the work that you did uniquely and powerfully in the Apostle Paul for the proclamation of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Pray that as we look at your word, we consider that Paul was an apostle of God's grace in Christ, that he was radically changed in opposition to everything he wanted to be a follower of Jesus and to be one who made him known, and that your spirit works to change us as well and others as well by that same gospel of grace Paul preached and that saved him. We pray that you would do a work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to start off in the letter to Rome. And you're going to say, why are you going to start in Romans? We're in Galatians. I know that. But I want to give you a little bit of context to Paul that I, I really want to ask a question about. When Paul wrote the letter to the church at Rome, in part, he was writing a missionary support letter. In fact, in chapter 15, he tells them that I'm hoping when I come to you on my way to you, I'm going to come to you on my way to Spain, and I'm hoping that when I get to you, that in some way you're going to financially be of help to me, to help me get to Spain, and potentially not only pray for me and help me financially, but, but maybe even send some folks with me to go reach Spain because they haven't heard the gospel. And so he says, I, I'm writing this to you in, ho- in hopes that when I come to you, you'll be able to help me. So there is a missionary support letter nature 
to the book of Romans. That's all, not all the book of Romans is, but that is part of that letter. And at the beginning of that letter, Paul identifies himself in an interesting way. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus or a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. In other words, I was called to be an apostle. That's what I'm set apart for the gospel of God. Which God, the gospel, promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures. Concerning his son. This is a gospel of God that I was set apart for, that I'm an apostle of, that I'm a servant of, that is about his son that was talked about in the Old Testament. Who was descended, his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and who was resurrected by the Spirit. Right? was resurrected according to the Spirit of holiness from the dead. In other words, this son was humiliated as a man and was exalted as the God-man at his resurrection. I'm writing about that Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, our Lord. And then he goes on to say, through whom, Jesus, through whom, we've received, and really it's an editorial plural, he's speaking about himself. I've received the grace of apostleship for what end? To bring about the obedience of faith, the believing among all nations for the sake of his name. In other words, I want to see people in every people group come to know Jesus and believe in Jesus for the sake of Jesus' name. He writes that. And then he tells them in Romans 15, listen, I want to come to you, but I've been doing all this other work. I've been held up with all this other work. And I've preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is present-day Albania. And I've preached the gospel in that whole region. And there's no more room for me in that region, by the way, because there are already Christians there, and so those churches there can now do that work. But my calling is to make Jesus known where he has not been known, so he says that I make it my ambition to name Jesus where he's never been named. I don't want to build on another man's foundation. I want to make Jesus known among a people group who've never heard of him. That's what Paul's heartbeat is. I want to make him known among all peoples for the sake of his name. I want to make him known where he's never been heard of. I want to go to Spain because no one's heard of him there, and I want you to help me get there. I'm an apostle. I've been a servant of, made a servant of Christ. I've been set apart for the gospel concerning his son, and my whole life is about Jesus. Now you read this about Paul in Rome and you wonder, how did Paul get there? He wasn't always that guy. It wasn't always his consuming passion to make Jesus known where he was not. So how did he get there? In fact, for some time in Paul's life, not only did he not have interest in Jesus, he persecuted him. You say, well, how did he persecute Jesus? Jesus tells us he persecuted us, he persecuted him. He persecuted Jesus by persecuting Jesus' church, the body of Christ. He wanted to snuff out the gospel. He wanted to put to death Christ's church. He oversaw the martyrdom of the first martyr, Stephen. He was there giving approval. He then pursued Christians, not only chasing them out of Jerusalem, but all around that area of the ancient Near East, and tried to capture them, and imprison them, and kill them. That's where he was. He wasn't just a guy who was neutral, or disinterested, or hadn't heard about Jesus. He was a guy who had heard Jesus even preach. Think about it. He was there for Stephen's sermon. He had heard about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
He'd heard about how Jesus connects to the Old Testament promise of the coming Messiah. He'd heard that from the mouth of Stephen. He'd heard that likely from other church leaders as well. And his life was hell-bent on destroying the church and smashing down or putting to death the gospel message. How does he go from that guy, from that guy who wanted to destroy the church, who wanted to destroy the preaching of the gospel message, to this guy who writes Romans, who says, I'm I'm a slave of Christ. I'm set apart for the gospel. I want to do nothing more than make Jesus known where he is not, for the sake of his name. My whole life is given to that. I'll suffer anything. I'll suffer the loss of all things to make him known. How does that change happen? Because that change happened in Paul. What caused him to go from a man who persecuted Christians to a man who desired to to do nothing more than to make Jesus known? I want to look at Paul's change. His salvation and his calling to ministry. And then then to some extent I want to look at what changes us. Does the same gospel that changed Paul and called Paul into ministry change us? And call us to make him known. And I think it does. I think the truth of that is, yes, it does. But primarily, I want to start by looking at Paul because it's such an important person in the the history of the Christian church. So here's the first thing I want to talk about. Paul's change happened first because Paul received the word of God. You hear that? So that's the first thing. I really want to talk about two things. One, Paul received the word of God, and two, God graciously converted him, ordained him. So Paul received the word of God. That's the first thing. He received the word of God. Look at Galatians 1.11. If you will, verse 11 and 12 are really the thesis statement. And then verses 13 through 24 are kind of the supporting case. He's giving you his supporting evidence. But let's look at verses 1, or excuse me, verses 11 and 12 as sort of the thesis statement here. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is not a gospel I got from man. This is not a gospel that's invented by man. This is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus was revealed to Paul. Jesus was physically, in his resurrected state, revealed to Paul. Now you might say, didn't he hear the gospel before? Yes, he did. He heard it on the lips of Stephen. But the gospel he's preaching came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord appeared to Paul and told Paul the gospel. You read about it in Acts chapter 9. And therefore Paul's gospel is not from man, but from God. And for the Galatians then, then at that time, and Christians today, this becomes a fundamental point, doesn't it? Do you believe this revelation from Paul is the word of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Paul really saw Jesus Christ, the Lord, resurrected and that Jesus really changed Paul and really ordained and commissioned Paul to make Jesus known where he was not, to make Jesus known among the the Gentiles? Do you believe that? If you don't, if you don't believe Paul was a real apostle who really saw Jesus, then you don't have Christianity anymore. Say, what do I mean by that? Think of Paul's impact on the New Testament. Think of Paul's letters Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. That's a few of the letters of the New Testament, isn't it? There's only 27 books in the New Testament. Think about Paul's impact on Luke. Luke was discipled by Paul. He was trained by Paul. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So Paul has a direct hand not only in all those epistles he wrote, but he has a direct hand in Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts, those two books together, make up over 50% of the word count of the New Testament. Say, now they're not 50% of the New Testament from the number of books, they're only two. But if you read Luke and Acts, you've read over 50% of the words of the New Testament. So just in his influence on Luke, he had influence on over 50% of the word count of the New Testament. Then you have his epistles. Paul also influenced Mark. John Mark was discipled by Paul and Barnabas. There was a split for some time in which Mark was under Barnabas, but at the end of his life, Paul's saying, send Mark to me, he's useful to me. Paul directly influenced Mark. We have the gospel of Mark. He was discipled by Paul as well. Peter talks about the fact that he sees Paul's writings as scripture, and even Peter's learning from Paul. So if you toss out Paul, then you throw away what we know as Christianity. If you throw out Paul, then you don't even know who Jesus really is. Because most of what you know about Jesus, and pretty much all the interpretation of what you know about Jesus in the Gospels, comes from the pen of Paul. Paul not only tells us much about, of what we know about Jesus, but Paul interprets much of what we read in the Gospels and about Jesus and much of what we read in the Old Testament about Jesus. And Paul is jealous to secure his apostolic authority, which came through direct revelation from God for the sake of the Gospel among the Galatians. L- listen, once you throw out Paul, you don't have the same Jesus of Christianity anymore. Do you guys understand that? You cannot pit Jesus against Paul. I know it's popular in modern times. It's been popular since the advent of even before the Jesus seminar. But certain um, criticism of Scripture to say there's Jesus of history and the Paul of faith. That Paul came along and perverted what we really know about Jesus. And we know that how? Because we say it so in the 20th century. That's how we know. That's how we know. These guys even got together and made little colored beads and went through the Gospels, largely influenced by Paul, right? At least two of the Gospels. And they took little colored beads and they actually said, which saying is really from Jesus? Which saying is not from Jesus or thing Jesus is not? Then, then in between there, likely his, likely not his, definitely not his. And they had little colored beads and they cast the little beads into little containers. And that's how this group of scholars determined what really belonged to the New Testament. 20th century. That's good scholarship, isn't it? It's the kind of reliable scholarship you can get at a local university with regard to Jesus. But hey, Christians are crazy for trying to research this stuff historically and know what it really says, right? We thank God the Father that he sent Jesus to appear to the Apostle Paul. For we have heard the gospel today largely because of the ministry of Paul. Paul was called to go west. At the Macedonian call, he was called to come to Europe, essentially. Paul wanted to go to Asia. If he had not come west, the gospel would not have spread into Europe as it did, and we today would not know about Jesus. 
Paul's preaching to the Gentiles and his missions work is why you're saved and why you're here. So we thank God for the gospel that Paul preached. We thank God that Jesus appeared to him. We're thankful for Paul's commitment to mission because we know the Father will not send Jesus directly to all of us, will he? The Father will not send Jesus to all of us because we're not all apostles. Which brings up a question. So what's the normative way we receive the word of God? Because Paul sees a, an appearance. Jesus appears to him actually more than once. But Jesus appears to Paul physically in his resurrected state. Jesus does not normally do that. So how do we receive the word of God? Because that's how Paul received the word of God. Directly from the lips of Jesus. How do we receive the word of God? Well, Paul tells us. In Romans 10, 13, Paul makes a statement that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how, he says, are they to call on the one whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in the one who, who they've never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how do we hear today? We send people to tell people the word. That's how we get saved. This is how the gospel normatively goes to those who have not heard. Paul is not, but Paul's not satisfied. I want you to hear this. He's not satisfied to just announce that he received the gospel directly from the Lord. Paul wants to prove that by telling us about his conversion and his commissioning, if you will. He wants to tell us the story. We all like stories. You want to hear about Paul's test, personal testimony? Here's a little bit of Paul's personal testimony of his call to ministry, if you will, of his ordination and his conversion. Let's start first with Paul's um, life of Judaism. So if the word of God is revealed to Paul, here we learn, look at how the Lord is converting him and commissioning him. And let's start with his life of Judaism. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. What Paul's saying is here is that he was a devout Jew. He kept to their way of life. He pursued self-righteousness with the best of them. Now, I know we think about self-righteousness in only negative terms. But Paul isn't thinking about it only in negative terms here. As to the law, he says, blameless. Philippians chapter 3. If anyone could claim his good works outweighed his bad, it was Paul. If anyone could claim that, it was him. He says in Philippians 3 that as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was an ethnic Jew. He was a well-trained Pharisee. He was jealous for good doctrine, wasn't he? That's why he's pursuing snuffing out the false teachers among the Christians. Because he's jealous for good doctrine. He's jealous for the name of the Lord to be exalted. And he's jealously opposed to idolatry. And Paul does not see all these as bad traits. He actually holds them up as good traits. But, here's the thing, as worthless when it comes to standing before God. Do you hear that? It's not bad to be a moral person. 
It's not bad to live a solid Christian life. It isn't bad to care about good doctrine. None of that's bad. But if you think any of that adds up to your standing before God, then, then you're out to lunch. Paul's saying before God, in my saying before God, that stuff was worthless. It was worthless. He came to understand that these traits added up to nothing before the Lord. He could not please the holy God. All his righteousness, as it says in Isaiah, was like filthy rags, which that word is minstrel rags. That's gross. But that's the value of your works before God on their own and of themselves. Paul tells us that he came to realize that all of his good works, all of his good deeds, his circumcision on the eighth day, his being born of the tribe of Benjamin, his being zealous for the law, his being zealous for good doctrine, etc., all of it added up for him to being a pile of manure. That's what he says. He calls it manure. We translate it very cautiously with the word rubbish, but you get it. It's a strong word. What if I told you, come to me and said, I've been a good person. I say, manure. <laughs> but that's what it's worth, manure. But look at the way I treated my spouse. Filthy rags. We need to understand that we contribute nothing to our standard before God. Nothing. Paul understood he contributed nothing to his standing before God. Not a thing. With that said, let's look at Paul's conversion to Christ. He goes from a lot of eyes, I did this and I did that and I did this, to a lot of God. God did this and God did that. Verse 15, let's look at his election first. Paul's conversion to Christ started with his election. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, the nature of this word here is the word chose me. Elected me. But when he, that's God, who had set me apart, elected me, chose me before I was born. Notice what Paul says here. He was set apart, elected, chosen before birth. Paul's emphasizing that his salvation was the result of God's sovereign electing purposes. Paul was persecuting Christians, not pursuing Christ. But before I press into this too far, look what else he says. Again, we're on verse 15. But when he would set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So he says, I was elected, I was chosen, I, I was set apart before birth by God's grace. And I was called, he called me by God's grace. That means in history, not only did he choose me before time began, but he actually came and called me out of darkness into his marvelous light in history. Called me and by what? His grace. By his unmerited favor. What Paul's saying is, I was chosen in eternity past and I was effectually called in history. God graciously called Paul to salvation. And again, the emphasis here is on the fact that God has set his favor on a man who was an enemy of Jesus and the church. Paul was doing nothing to merit this favor. Nothing. You understand the context here? Think about how these two things are being contrasted. I'm a man who's trying to destroy the church 
and the gospel. And before the beginning of the world, God chose me. And in history, he came and called me out by his grace to save me. To say that Paul contributed anything to that is, is nonsense. Quite the opposite. The only thing Paul did was bring sin to the table and ungodliness to the table and rebellion to the table and idolatry, if you will, by rejection of Jesus to the table. Now look at verse 16 because he goes on. Verse 15, but when he had, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, when he was pleased, verse 16, to reveal his son to me. When he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Um, this is talking about really what we call regeneration and faith. And, and if you notice, mo- your, most of your Bibles may have a little footnote there. And in the bottom somewhere on the margins, it might say, in me. That's because the Greek word here, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, could also mean he was pleased to reveal his son in me. And most scholars think grammatically that what's happening here is that Paul's saying that the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus was revealed to him and in him. Some translations actually have just come out and said that he who revealed the Lord to me and in me, just added that in, that he's sort of, Paul's, if, as he's writing, sort of catching up both ideas. That Jesus appeared to Paul, and in this sense, his gospel was original because Jesus appeared to him. But in one sense, Paul's gospel was not original because he had heard of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but while he had heard of it, he had never really had ears to hear. He never really saw the truth. The Lord appeared to him and in him. He was given eyes to see and ears to hear. He was born again and believing. You hear that? It all changed for Paul. He was not a guy who just knew about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He was not a guy who just saw the resurrected Christ in front of him. He was a guy who had Jesus revealed in him. His heart was brought to life. His eyes were open to see. His ears were open to hear. He repented and believed. We call that being born again. And believing. He went from death to life. He went from being an enemy of Christ to a believer in Christ in an instant. In an instant. And the same can happen to you. If you're an unbeliever here today, the Lord can save you in an instant. You just look to Jesus in faith. If you're an unbeliever here, look to him in faith. Recognize you bring nothing to the table and trust in Jesus alone and you'll be forgiven for your sins and declared righteous in Christ. And you might say, you know what? I haven't believed for a long time. I've been opposed to it. I've not cared about it. I've been apathetic with regard to it. And in an instant, the Lord can come and change you. And I pray he does. I pray he does. You might have been here week after week after week hearing about Jesus hearing about the gospel, hearing the word of God, and racking up all kinds of intellectual knowledge. But you haven't been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the work of grace. And God can change you in an instant, just like he did Paul, and I pray he does. But the Lord was not done with Paul. He did not save Paul so that Paul could live life for himself. Do you hear that? I want you to hear this. God did not come to Paul and graciously save him so Paul could live his best life now. It's not why he did it. He came to Paul so he could live for Jesus. 
He saved him so he could ordain him to gospel preaching. God ordains him. If you will, look at the next part of verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order. Here's why. In order that I might preach him, Jesus, among the Gentiles. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He saved and set apart Paul as an apostle and gospel preacher. He actually speaks to this in 2 Timothy. Um, Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. He speaks to this here as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. It's like another summary of, of a similar thing as Paul's writing to Timothy. He says there in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested, here it comes in history, before time now in history, now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. After Paul states the fact that he's been set apart, he's been ordained, if you will, to gospel ministry among the Gentiles, he goes on to defend his gospel preaching the Galatians, saying, listen, I want you to understand that I did not receive this gospel from men. I want to drive that home. And so he really gives some background information about how he, they, so they can know that he was actually saved directly by Jesus and ordained to ministry or apostleship directly by Jesus. Look at verse 16. I did not immediately consult, the last part of verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone. In other words, the Lord saved me and set me apart to gospel ministry, and I didn't consult with anyone immediately. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Because I didn't even go see them. But I went away into Arabia. This is probably a uh, southern region of, of, well, I'm not going to get into that. So I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. So here's here's what he's getting at. Apparently, he went into Arabia, which is likely present-day Jordan, for three years, where he received more revelation and likely studied the Old Testament in light of Jesus' revelation. He then came back, if you notice at the end of verse 17, and returned again to Damascus. He then came back to Damascus where he preached, and from whence you read in Acts 9, this story of how he has to be lowered down in a basket to escape. Damascus, and he escaped and went from there to Jerusalem. And Luke seems in Acts 9 to telescope these things together so that you have him on the road to Damascus. He's saved, he's changed, he meets with Ananias, the scales removed from his eyes. And then the next thing you know, he's preaching the gospel in Damascus and he's lowered down in a basket and then he goes to Jerusalem with Barnabas to see the apostles. Luke seems to telescope all these things together, which actually right there in Acts 9 seems to be a three-year period, Paul's telling us. First he's saved and called to apostleship. And then he says, I went off to Arabia for three years. Present day Jordan. Where he seems to have received more revelation and been reading and studying the Old Testament in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he comes back to Damascus. Again to Damascus, he says, where he then starts to preach the gospel. He then escapes and heads to Jerusalem. 
and meets up with Cephas, who is Peter. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, verse 18, to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remain with him 15 days, which I've learned since I've known Adam Tyson is a fortnight. 14 days, right? Two weeks? Is that right, Adam? Fortnight. Thank you. Where are you? There you go. Say, right? I didn't know what that word meant. It's a British way of saying two weeks. Did you know that? Okay. That, good. I'm glad you knew it. I learned it. So there's a new little piece of information for you. Right? He's there a couple weeks. In other words, what he's emphasizing is a couple weeks is not enough time to be thoroughly trained by the rest of the apostles. Look, I, I was saved. I went away for a few years. And then when I finally came back, I was preaching in Damascus. And when I finally came back, um, I was only with the apostles a couple weeks. And really at that, I was only with Peter. And then he goes, verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. In other words, I only saw two of the apostles, really. I spent hardly any time with them. This is not a gospel I derived from them. Jesus appeared to me, and I began to do ministry. I went into Arabia. I was studying there. I came back to Damascus. I began to preach. And then I went to Jerusalem. And then he goes on from there, and I'll get to that in a second. Here's what I want to get at. Paul says, I didn't consult with any of the apostles. That's an interesting statement. He's saying, my ordination as a gospel preacher is independent of the apostles and the church in Jerusalem, which emphasizes that his ordination as an apostle is immediate. In other words, there's no mediator that stands between him and God and his ordination is immediate and unique. And here's why I want to get at that, because we're not Paul. You hear that? You are not Paul. You need to say that occasionally when you read the Bible. I'm not Paul. You say that occasionally when you read the Bible. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Peter, and I'm not any of the apostles. I wasn't actually here during any of these stories. I'm not the you they're talking to. The audience here is. But I'm learning. I'm learning. And it's being applied to me. It's being applied to me, but I'm not in the story. You guys understand that? It's hard for us to get a hold of that sometimes. We open up our Bibles and look for us, and we keep getting confused because we keep not finding ourselves. <laughs> pastors today are not, are, listen, we're not called, so pastors today, because we're not Paul, are not called immediately, in other words, without a mediator, and uniquely. We're called immediately and generally. What do I mean by that? God calls ministers today by the work of the Holy Spirit, through the local church. That's how we're called. Ordained by, called by the elders of a local church. Many in Scripture are called this way. In fact, in Acts 6, you start to see this kind of mediated, general calling with the deacons. In Acts 6, who are set apart. You see it in Titus 1 and in 1 Timothy 3, as Paul tells Timothy and Titus to appoint elders where they go. But Paul was unique. We have to understand he's unique. He was set apart as an apostle to fulfill a God-given role we do not share. And Paul demonstrates this by by showing that he was called immediately through the appearance of the resurrected Christ. Paul was called with a kind of authority and ordination to write scripture and explain the gospel that other gospel ministers do not share. You guys hear that? Part of the defense of Paul's gospel, in fact, Part of the way he's defending the fact that you should listen to his gospel and not the gospel of others' teachers is by saying, Paul saying, I was called immediately and uniquely by the resurrected Christ. That sets me apart as different. 
And when pastors today claim that God called them immediately, as Paul was called, then their claim is not only suspect, it actually turns Paul's claim into a normative one rather than a unique one, and then one wonders if Paul's gospel really has the authority he says it has. By the way, generally those pastors who claim this for themselves don't spend much time teaching the scriptures that Paul wrote. They generally spend a lot of time talking about their God stories and how the Holy Spirit speaks to them and how you should come and hear about it so that you can learn how to do the same thing. Spend little, very little time teaching the God-ordained and appointed and inspired Word of God right here in the Bible. Before I get caught too much up in too much more of that, though, look at verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. In other words, these churches had not seen him in person. They had only heard of him. They only were hearing it said. In other words, he's not familiar to the church at the time. He's this new apostle. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, he's in this region of Syria um, and Cilicia, really, in Tarsus, for about 10 to 11 years. You guys know that? About 10 to 11 years. And then Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch to pastor the church in Antioch with him. And then the church at Antioch sets them apart by the work of the Holy Spirit and sends Barnabas and Paul on Paul's first missionary journey, which we read about in Acts 13 and 14. But he's there 10 or 11 years. So from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 12, essentially, you have almost 14 years being spanned. I know we think that Paul met Jesus on the road and was immediately out on a missionary journey, but he wasn't. Nearly 14 years were spanned. Galatians 1, or 2, sorry, and verse 1 actually tells us this. Look at Galatians 2 and verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And most scholars think that means 14 years after his conversion. So you take out the three years in Arabia, and then you have what left? 14 minus 3 is 11. So he's about 11 years in the region of Syria. Follow? Paul was an apostle. He was chosen, called, born again, and saved by the sovereign grace of God. Paul, further, Paul had a unique role in the history of salvation, and he spoke with biblical authority. We need to understand that. Paul had a unique role in the history of salvation. He spoke with biblical authority. I want to point out one more thing that I, uh, uh, with regard to Paul that I think demonstrates that. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Verse 15 and 16, look there again. But when he had, who had set me apart before I was born, and that, that language really is while I was still in my mother's womb, and who called me by grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. And then look what he goes on and say in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, this is interesting language. He's to preach Christ among the Gentiles. He's set apart, if you will, while he's in the womb. What's interesting about that is, is that that language is elsewhere. Jeremiah speaks that way of himself, that he's set apart while in the womb. And most specifically, we read about that with regard to the suffering servant, the Messiah, in Isaiah 49. 
In Isaiah 49, we're actually told that the Messiah is set apart in his mother's womb. If, if, you, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. I'm going to turn there briefly to Isaiah 49. I want you to hear this in verse 1 and 6. Speaking of the coming Messiah, listen to me, O coastlands, and give, us, give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me by name. And Paul picks that up and says, the Lord called me from the womb. Tying himself to the Messiah in Isaiah 49.1. And now listen, in case you don't notice that tie, go down, if you go down to Isaiah 49.6, he says to me, and that's he's saying it to the Messiah, the Lord is saying to the Messiah, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved Israel. In other words, it's not enough just for you to save the Jews. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth or to the Gentiles. And Paul comes in and says, you heard how the suffering servant, the messianic servant Isaiah 49, was called or set apart from his mother's womb and how that suffering or messianic servant was called to make the gospel known among the Gentiles or to save the Gentiles. I was set apart from my mother's womb. I was set apart to make the gospel known among the Gentiles. Now in case... You want to tie that little bow together with me um, because you're not quite buying it yet. Look at Acts 13. Acts 13 and verse 47. As Paul is preaching, mind you, this is during the same time in which he's planting churches in Galatia, in the region of Galatia. As he's preaching, some of the Jews are turning against him and Barnabas as they're preaching. And Paul says this, very interesting, Luke records it for us in Acts 13 and verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us. Now notice, he's going to quote from Isaiah 49, 6 and say it's a command he was given from the Lord. Now, Isaiah 49, 6 is a historical statement about what the Messiah will do. And Paul's taking a historical statement about what the Messiah will do, and he's applying it to himself and saying, I was commanded to do this. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What's Paul doing here? Paul is an apostle of God's grace in Christ. And he's saying that I was set apart to continue the work of the Messiah by making him known. He's not continuing the salvific work of the Messiah in life, death, and resurrection. He's continuing to suffer with Christ, which he emphasizes again and again. He's suffering with Christ so that the message about the Messiah will be spread to all those who've never heard. Paul was an apostle of God's grace in Christ. He had a unique salvific role in history. And while we will not be called to be apostles, none of us will be, by the way. Not some of you are going to be called to be apostles, or maybe a couple, none of you will be apostles. You hear that? None. The apostles, Ephesians 2.20, are the foundation of the church. The foundation's been laid. We're building on top of the foundation. You won't be apostles. If you, start, if you hear somebody say they're an apostle, run away, run away. <laughs> while we won't be called to be apostles, we're still saved, aren't we? By the same gospel Paul was saved by. And we're still commissioned to the same mission, if you will, Paul was commissioned to. To make Jesus known where he is not. Now we have different roles in that mission, but we share the mission. Some of you may go out as gospel ministers and missionaries. Rob, who was up here praying earlier, Rob and Beth are going to go to Radius in January to get trained 
so that they can go to one of the hardest places on earth to go to reach an unreached people group. If you will, they're going to go on an Pauline mission naming Jesus where he's never been named. Some are going to do that. Not all of you will do that. Some will be set apart for that by God. And some of us will send them. But either way, we either participate in, we, we all participate in making the gospel of God's, cra- God's grace in Christ known to a lost and dying world. We all participate. John Piper says it this way, go send or disobey. Those are your options. Further, we all have neighbors and friends and coworkers and family members who we can tell about the grace of God in Christ, can't we? We're all set apart as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus to your neighbors, to your friends, your family members, your coworkers? While we're not all Paul, and while none of us have the exact same calling he had, May we all, within the context of our respective callings, take on the passion he expressed in Acts 20, 24, when he said this, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me pray. Father, we ask that we would, like Paul, understand that our salvation is all of grace, as the work of your son Jesus, that we contribute nothing and we receive everything in your son. Father, we pray that we, like Paul, would, would desire to see Jesus proclaimed in all the nations of the earth, that every tribe and tongue and people would know your son and be saved and rejoice in him, that they would hear the gospel of your grace throughout the nations. We pray that we, whether you are raising people up here to be sent or whether you are raising up people here who who are being senders, that we would faithfully participate in that mission through prayer and support and going if that's what we're called to do. And Father, we pray as well We pray as well, Father, that you would work powerfully in us so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to our neighbors and family members and friends and coworkers, that we would tell them that they can be saved by your Son, that they can be forgiven for their sins and declared righteous and adopted as children, not because of anything they do or anything in them, but because of what Jesus has done for them, that we would proclaim to them the gospel of grace in Christ and that many would be saved. We pray this for the sake of your name. Amen.